Hello, mystery fans, and hello, horse fans. Welcome to Horse Mysteries, a podcast about mysteries involving horses. I don't think we can make it any more succinct than that, dear. No, I don't. I'm David Dedrick. I'm Lisa Williamson. And this week, we're going to look at... What are we going to look at? What's the title of this week's show, dear? The title of this week's show is The Luck of the Irish. The Luck of the Irish. The most ironical expression ever made. Yeah, I I think it is ironic. Yeah. (laughs) So, is this actually about the luck of the Irish, or are you also being ironic? Ironic. Okay. (laughs) Looks like it's a gloomy one, folks. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's get into it. I'm I'm interested in what this one's going to be about. Okay. All right, so start Just so with... long as it's not as gloomy as last week's show. No, I'm just joking. That's fine. Well, I, I won't promise that. The date was February 8th, 1983, and the time was 8.40 p.m. Okay, that's very specific. Was it a dark and stormy night? It was. Foggy, rainy night. One of the coldest days in Ireland that year. Okay. So, location. Ballymini Stud, which is a 220-acre thoroughbred breeding farm near the Curra Race Course and the National Stud in County Kildare, Ireland. Okay. So, Ballymini... no idea where you're talking about. No, I don't know where that's located. I think it's, like, not Northern Ireland. It's, like, Ireland proper. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And Ballymini Stud is one of six Irish stud farms and thoroughbred breeding facilities owned by the Agacon. Okay. Yeah. So last week's episode, sure, we, we had we had Ali Dar. Yeah, who was named after Ali Khan. Yeah. Ali Khan is the father of the Agacon. Yes. Yeah. So a bit of a tie in there. Let's <laughs> just say a, a rich dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Day one, we have Jim Fitzpatrick, who is 58 years old. He's a father of six and works as head stud groom at Ballymini Stud. He's worked there since he was 16 and is second generation. His father worked there before him. So he had just finished eating dinner with his family and went out to check on the stallions for their evening check and found everything was well. And then he returned to the house. At 8.30 p.m., he thinks he hears a car outside. He stops and listens and decides he was wrong. Then at 8.40 p.m., there's a knock on the door. His 11-year-old son, Bernard, opens the door to find a man in what appears to be a Garda uniform standing on the doorstep. And uh, what is the Garda? Uh, Irish police. Okay. Yeah. Do they have different levels of police? So I guess the Garda is not like a normal constabulary, or is they, are they different... I don't know. Okay. Yeah. So the man's wearing a peaked cap and a long coat, but uh, after a very short time, it also becomes apparent that he's wearing a balaclava. Uh, So the man asks for Jim Fitzgerald, and then he knocks Bernard down and pins him to the ground. So hearing a commotion, Jim Fitzgerald comes downstairs just as three men push their way into the house, and they state, we have come for Shurgar. We want $3 million for him. So, sorry, these people just break into the house. Mm-hmm. And say they basically assault the guy's 11-year-old kid, push yeah. him down, push him d- and then say, we've come for Shurgar, we want $3 million. Okay. So, no, I'm taking it they're not offering $3 million for the horse. No. So they want $3 million if they don't take the horse. No, I think they are going to kidnap the horse. 
They're going to kidnap the horse. And they're demanding three million. Three million. It feels like they're just they're kind of putting the cart before the horse here. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't got the horse yet. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're demanding. Yeah. Okay. So I think you pointed out a uh, the fatal flaw in their plan right <laughs> off the off the bat. Okay. So. Okay. So Fitzgerald's family is held at gunpoint in the kitchen. The three men are described as calm and well organized, aside from the obvious flaw there. Um, <laughs> they refer to each other as Cresswell. Each each of them calls yeah. each other Cresswell. Yeah. Hey Cresswell. Hey Cresswell. Yeah. Is that a? I wonder if that's a reference to the the mentalist. Wasn't there like a guy who was like a? No, he was based in L.A. though. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I think he performed with for Ed Wood, in Ed Wood movies. Possibly. Maybe that's Cresswell. Oh, no. sure. Could look it up. Okay, so the men then lock Fitzgerald's <laughs> I his guess. Yeah, his, they they lock Fitzgerald's wife and children in a room, okay. and they force Fitzgerald to accompany them to a forestall barn at gunpoint. And they find that there are more men there, and uh, the amount of men is kind of garbled. It's described as between six and nine in total. So Fitzgerald is made to point out the stallion Shurgar. The men use a two-way radio to call for a two-horse trailer. Uh, Fitzgerald then has to help the men load Shergar into the trailer, and they all drive off at 9 p.m. So Fitzgerald noted that the men were not aggressive or rough, with the exception of one man who had a pistol. He said one man had an accent from Northern Ireland, while another one seemed very comfortable and confident around horses. So the men put Fitzgerald on the floor of a separate van, so not in the horse trailer. Uh, his head is covered with a coat, and he's driven around for three to four hours. Eventually, Fitzgerald is dumped by the roadside in the middle of the night. He's frightened, and he's lost, but he soon realizes he is in a vi- by the village of Kilcock, about 20 miles away from the Ballymini Stud. A lot of hilarious names in this area of Ireland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So during the drive, the men tell Fitzgerald not to contact the authorities. If he does contact them, he and his family will be killed. This is the most confusing crime I've ever heard of in my life. Well, just you wait. So now, okay, let let me just just go back a little bit here. So now, this was like a successful farm. Mm Mm-hmm. A successful yeah. stud farm or a successful yeah, like farm. racing breeding? Well, all, yeah. Okay. So they, they stood four stallions, but yeah, they were producing racehorses. Racehorses? Were they producing like hunter jumpers? No, or racehorses. Just racehorses. Yeah. Okay. So it was a thoroughbred breeding farm. Mm-hmm. And so they had a horse that was apparently worth $3 million. Yeah. Like a stallion. Yeah. Who's worth $3 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they've kidnapped him. Okay, so uh, Fitzgerald is told to wait for the gang to contact him before doing anything or telling anyone. And the gang gives him a code word that they will use. Can I I guess? Is it Cresswell? No. And it's not Swordfish either. (laughs) But it's close. It's Neptune. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so day two. That's a clue because I was looking up County Kildare is inland. Oh, it's okay. not a coastal hmm. county. Hmm. Interesting. It's uh, surrounded by uh, yeah. other counties that are on the coast. So, Okay, so it's now after midnight, uh, February 9th. Uh, Fitzgerald walks a distance, finds a pub, calls his brother from the phone box outside. Mm-hmm. And his brother comes to pick him up and he drives him home. So at 1 a.m., Fitzgerald calls his boss, uh, Gislaine. Is that how you say that word? Name? Gislaine. How do you say it? <laughs> you know what? And we have a famous Gislaine in the news right now. Yes, I know. And yet I still don't know how to pronounce it properly. Okay. I'll call it Gislaine. Gislaine? 
Anyways, it it was should yeah. You would think with a gh, it should have a it should be not a soft g, mm-hmm. so it should be hard. But also, I don't know if you pronounce the s though. Okay. If it's well, Ghislaine? I'm just gonna say Gislaine. Anyways, Gislaine <laughs> Drion is the person's name. Okay. And this person is the Agacon stud manager. Okay. Um, and so Fitzgerald calls him and tells him that uh, Sugar has been kidnapped, but he also tells Drion. To not call the authorities. Oh, okay. Because these guys said not to call the authorities. Yeah, they, they would come and kill him and his family. Hmm. And he's taking them seriously, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we will just take Well, a they did push his son to the ground. Yeah, yeah, they've already yeah, demonstrated that they uh, have a propensity for violence. So we'll just Against talk 11 about... 11-year-olds. Yeah. The, the, mm-hmm. old, the adult male was left untouched, mm-hmm. but the, mm-hmm. the young boy was, right. was assaulted. So a bunch of bullies. Yeah. Okay, so we'll just talk about who Shergar was, because, yeah, you don't know. I remember Shergar from when it was in the news, but, yeah, you won't have any idea. So who was Shergar? So Shergar was a distinctively marked bay colt who was born March 3rd, 1978, in Ireland. Uh, His father was a horse called Great Nephew, and his mother was a horse called Charmine. Uh, Shergar had four white feet, a very large blaze, and a distinctive white ring around one eye. So, in some things you'll see, it will talk about him having a wall eye, which is when a horse has a blue eye, yeah. which is not a blind eye, they just have a blue eye, but he, he doesn't actually, if you look at the pictures, he doesn't have a wall eye, he's just got a kind of white ring around his eye, which periodically horses will get, yeah. but not often, so it's a good identifier. I see. Yeah. So, as a racehorse, Shergar had won the 1981 Epson Derby by 10 lengths, which was the largest margin on record. Hmm. He had won three other major stakes races, also with 10 to 12 length leads. Uh, By winning the Irish Derby, Shergar became a very rare double derby winner. So, last week or two weeks ago, we talked about triple crown winners. That's three American races that, yeah, in a period of over a hundred years very few horses have managed to complete that and so yeah here we have the european equivalent okay so okay very few horses have done this won the two races mm. so that agacon had been offered 40 million dollars from american interest who wanted to syndicate shergar at stud in the usa uh, instead the agacon decided to syndicate shergar himself and had done so at a profit of 10 to 15 million Okay. So this made Shergar the world's most expensive racehorse at that time. Wow. So 34 people from nine countries have bought a share each for $382,000, and the Agacon had retained six shares. When the Agacon wouldn't, wouldn't he have made more money selling it for $40 million then? Well, once it's gone, though, then you can't oh, make I see. money. He's still right? making money on yeah, the stud because, fees. Yeah, because then you'll okay. have, yeah, okay. kind of like uh, that guy last week did with Alidar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when the Agacon retired Shergar to Ireland, the horse was paraded down the main street of Newbridge, County Kildare. The Irish media labeled him a national hero in Ireland, one of the most recognizable sports personalities, horse or human, in Ireland. <laughs> and what a personality. Yeah. His, his radio interviews were quite fascinating. <laughs> 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 yeah. So Shergar was just about to embark on his second season at Stud. 
So he had covered 44 mares in his first season and was fully booked for 55 mares in 1983. Hmm. So I, once again, I assume these are live co- coverage. Yes, they, yeah, because thoroughbreds no, uh, require live cover. Yeah. There's no AI or artificial insemination with thoroughbreds. So he makes, was makes sense mm-hmm, for a yeah. breed that is so the the importance of the line is so carefully maintained. Mm-hmm. The idea of allowing like the accidental or intentional uh, bastardizing of the line mm-hmm. by someone sneaking in some sneaky, right? Uh, you know, yeah, because mistakes are made for sure. Yeah, mistakes or even dishonesty. Mm-hmm. You know, you could be selling any horse's sperm, right? On on, on you know, saying, "Well, this is Shergar's." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, but really, it's just some sort of horse semen factory in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, so he was standing at a stud stud fee of 120,000 and was expected to earn 1 million pounds a year through his stud fees. So that's, I think, what the Agacon was looking at in not <laughs> yeah, yeah. selling. Yeah. So upon Fitzgerald's return home, Drian attempts to contact Ballymead Stud's owner, the Agacon. Unfortunately, the Egacon was in Switzerland and could not be contacted. Hmm. So next, Drian calls Stan Cosgrove, who is Shergar's vet. Cosgrove is also a shareholder in the Shergar Syndicate. Okay. Cosgrove, in turn, calls a man called Sean Barry, a retired Irish army captain who is now employed as the manager of the Irish Thoroughbred Breeders Association. <laughs> But don't tell the police, but just tell everyone I else know. about it. So Sean Barry <laughs> then contacts his friend, Alan Dukes, who is Ireland's serving Minister of Finance. Dukes oh, yeah. advises Barry to contact Michael Noonan, who is Ireland's Minister of Justice. Okay. So both Dukes and Noonan advise Barry to contact the Garda. Okay. Yeah. So now, I was going to say that up to this point, they are following the letter of the, of the, the law here. They are not contacting the police. So they could argue that even though they're contacting the minister in charge of the police, mm-hmm. yeah. they're still not contacting the police. That's right. Okay, so... so this is all over now. Now yeah. they're contacting the guard. Yeah. So, and, you know, that all started at 1 a.m. on yeah. this morning. Yeah. So this has been going on now for three hours in the middle of the night. So now sure. it's 4 a.m. So by 4 a.m., Drian manages to contact the Aga Khan, who also tells him to immediately contact the Garda. Yeah. What do they care about some farm manager and his family mm-hmm. this is a big this is an expensive horse yeah so eight hours after the kidnapping so it's now four twenty-five a.m the authorities are called so by that time any trace evidence had washed away in the rain mm. chief superintendent james murphy an experienced investigator is assigned to the case along with 70 detectives seven zero <laughs> 70, yeah yeah well, they, they take this seriously in Ireland. Well, horses are important in Ireland. You, you know, we had that case of the of of uh, Fran Falouche. We had mm-hmm. uh, Andy Griffith and two other guys on the case. <laughs> well, they did call the FBI, but yeah, yeah, but. and the guy who had no experience with horses or mm-hmm. was one guy. Yeah, this is seventy people. Although yeah. seventy people isn't necessarily really helpful. No. Yeah, well, stay tuned. Uh, the more the merrier. <laughs> yeah, so eyewitness and kidnap victim James Fitzgerald is terrified and confused. So ultimately, it takes the police four days to complete their interviews with him. Hmm. Must have got into the whiskey. Well, yeah, I think he just yeah knows fully what these guys will do. Yeah, um, yeah. 
An additional complication the day of the kidnapping involved um, the big Goff thoroughbred auction, which took place nearby. So on that particular day, there were tons of horse boxes, horse vans on the road. So mm. an unfamiliar one would not have stood out in the neighborhood. Yeah. So, meanwhile, up in Northern Ireland, at about the same time Fitzgerald returns home, so 1 a.m., an anonymous caller makes a call to racehorse trainer Jeremy Maxwell. So, he asks for £40,000 for the return of Shergar. And later, this price is raised to £52,000. Wait, so someone calls. Yeah, so these guys kidnap the horse, say they want $3 million. Yeah. And then... When the guy is released from the van, someone else phones a totally um, different, different, not connected to Sugar or the Egacon at all, trainer in a totally different country and says they want 40,000 pounds for the horse. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So these kidnappers who are talking to Jeremy Maxwell dictate they will negotiate with specific people only. So the people are racing journalists Derek Thompson and John Oakley from ITV yeah. and Peter Campling from The Sun. And Dick Francis, the mystery novelist. <laughs> so the three men are instructed to go to the Europa Hotel in Belfast. So at that time, the Europa was known as the most bombed hotel in the country. <laughs> at the time of the meeting, it, was, it still had cracked glass in the windows from a previous bombing. Wow. When the three men arrive, they are contacted by phone and told to go to a disused house 30 miles away that is owned by the racehorse trainer, Jeremy Maxwell. So the Garda has given the men instructions to talk for as long as possible so that they can secure a trace on the call. Okay. The first phone call is taken by Thompson, but is cut off at 80 seconds, so not long enough for a trace. Hmm. This continues throughout the night, with eight calls coming in at random times. All are under 90 seconds. So finally, at 1.30 a.m., Thompson manages to keep the kidnapper talking for 95 seconds, which is long enough for a trace. But, unfortunately, the police inform them that the person who had been doing the traces had gone off shift at midnight and had not been replaced because of budget cuts. <laughs> and so no what trace... What about these 70 people? <laughs> well, no trace of the call was made, ultimately. Yeah, I know. What about it? But I don't know because this is... In Northern Ireland now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. a different group. Okay, so, it's not, so they well. don't care at all in yeah. Northern Ireland. They have their own worries. They have their own troubles. Mm-hmm. We mentioned before that Chief Superintendent James Murphy, whose nickname was Spud, <laughs> um, he is a very experienced investigator, but he has no experience with the media. And in his first press conference, he states, I have no leads. At one point, he also famously said, a clue, that is what we haven't got. (laughs) However, this was not totally true, because the police were withholding evidence. Mm. They had recovered a magazine for a Steer MPI-69 submachine gun, which suggests a link to the IRA in South Arma. This was a 40-man independent republic that was associated with the provisional IRA. I see. Yeah. The police also had independent eyewitnesses who had seen three men loitering outside of the gate of Ballymini Stud at 8.30 p.m. on the night of the kidnapping. So these unidentified men were later named according to certain physical characteristics and were referred to as the guard, the jockey, and the nose. Hmm. 
So well, it was one called the nose. Uh, maybe he had a big nose. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so due to the difficulty of transporting a horse, especially one that was very distinctive, um, very famous, very highly recognizable, sure. out of Ireland, it was believed that Shergar was still in either Ireland or Northern Ireland. Tens of thousands of farmers and landowners were asked to search their barns and fields. Murphy used conventional methods, but he also employed the services of clairvoyants and psychics. <laughs> so Murphy, Murphy is lambasted and ridiculed by the press. Yeah. And unfortunately, much of the media attention on the case turns to lampooning the actual investigators. So Murphy is replaced as the media front person, but continues to control the investigation. Makes sense. So on February 9th at 4.05 p.m., a man who calls himself King Neptune contacts Ballymini Stud directly and talks to the stud manager, Drion. Hmm. There's something fishy about this. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Drion is not a native English speaker. Hmm. He has trouble understanding the Irish accent of the kidnapper and the call is cut short. <laughs> so around 5.45 p.m., King Neptune, obviously one of the kidnappers, calls again. Uh, this time, Drian asks him to speak slowly. So the kidnappers now ask for $2 million. The <laughs> kidnappers also ask for a contact number in France through whom negotiations will be made. So Drian gives the kidnappers the Agacon's French office phone number. So the syndicate brings in a London-based risk and strategic security consulting firm called Control Risks to handle the negotiations through the Agacon's French office. So it feels like there's two different groups working here. Yeah, yeah. It's a very weird case. We'll see more as we go. Okay. Yeah. So day three, February 10th. The kidnappers again contact one of the journalists up near Belfast. They tell him the horse had an accident and is dead. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Day four. <laughs> On February 11th, control risks, negotiators, demand proof that Shergar is still alive. The kidnappers tell Shergar's people to ask for someone unconnected to Shergar to go to the Crofton Airport Hotel in Dublin. They are to ask for a message for Johnny Logan, who is a pop popular Irish singer who had won the Eurovision Song Contest three years previously. <laughs> like, why him? Anyway, for some reason, Shergar's vet, Dr. Cosgrove, yeah. insists he should go and is given permission to do so. Well, that's better than... I thought they were going to insist on sending Agnetha Falkstad from ABBA, who also had won the Eurovision Song Contest oh, as a she? contact. Yeah, oh, a little ABBA okay. one. All right. So he approaches the reception desk, identifies himself as Johnny Logan, and asks for a message. So Dr. Cosgrove is accompanied by undercover members of the special detective unit who keep him under surveillance. Cosgrove learns at reception that there is no message waiting for Johnny Logan. Hmm. So he orders breakfast, eats, and waits. No message comes through. He leaves a contact number for Ballymini Stud at reception and returns home. Huh. So at 11.15 that same morning, the kidnappers phone the negotiators and are furious that the police were at the hotel. They're also upset that Cosgrove was there. They said, I quote, uh, We told you, nothing to do with the stud. Do you understand that? Someone completely clean. You better get someone in there exactly one hour or you're never going to see the horse again. End quote. So they tell the negotiators that if any member of the gang is captured or killed, the police will all be murdered. All 70 of them? <laughs> I know. Huh. Yeah. 
They like their threats, these guys. Okay, so at 3.15 that day, during another call, the kidnappers demand that the negotiators be given full authority to act on behalf of the shareholders. They say, we're fed up with being messed around. Unless a person with sole power to negotiate and hand over the money is on the phone in five minutes, the whole deal is off. The negotiator then has to explain how difficult this would be to do with 36 different shareholders in nine different countries and countless different time zones. <laughs> the deadline is extended by an hour. <laughs> well, that's reasonable, I guess. Yeah, as reasonable as we can expect. I guess they can't put the horse on the line. No. So and the negotiators ask again for proof that Shergar is alive. Is that you, Shergar? Nay. Nay. This is a fake horse. <laughs> the kidnappers contact contact the negotiators again and say the proof that the horse is still alive is at this minute at as the Rosnery hotel if you go to that hotel and you ask for an envelope left for johnny logan you have the proof that the horse is still alive and well no more discussion no more deals after one hour unless you have that power there's no more deals you'll never see the horse again you have a person there at that phone in one hour with total negotiating power so at 5 p.m., the kidnappers call again and are informed that someone went to the Rosnery Hotel but has not yet returned. The money is also not yet ready. Then we have a exchange back and forth. So the caller says, Are you going to pay the money for the horse? Yes or no? Negotiator. We have to have the proof that the horse is alive and has not been harmed because we are not going to pay and the shareholders are not going to pay kidnapper. Are you not going to pay up the money? Negotiator, if the horse has been harmed and they are not going to pay for a useless horse, and I think by that they mean maybe gelded, for instance. Okay. Uh, kidnapper, now, are you going to pay the amount specified? Negotiator, we have to get the money. Then we have to get the agreement of the shareholders. Kidnapper, listen, you're agreeing or you're not. Are the shareholders going to pay the money or are they not? Negotiator, I don't know yet. Kidnapper, if we have to kill this horse, then the call is cut off. So at 10 p.m., the kidnappers call again, insisting the proof is available that Shergar is alive. Kidnapper, it'll be you that killed him. Negotiator, yes, but you will be responsible to your country for that. Kidnapper, what? Negotiator, you are going to damage the reputation of your country and its economy. Kidnapper, do you think I give a sh about that? <laughs> You may not pay for this horse, but you will definitely pay for the next one when you see what we do to this horse. Do you understand? Negotiator. Yes, I do. The kidnapper goes on to say he will call again. He wants to make sure the money is going to be available. And he refers to the situation with Cosgrove and the Crofton Airport Hotel earlier that morning. An envelope is waiting at the Rosnery Hotel and is picked up by a policeman. The Polaroid photos show black and white images of a horse's head beside a copy of the Irish news bearing the previous day's date. Dr. Cosgrove positively identifies Shergar, but also states that unless he is able to see more of the horse in the picture, he is not able to confirm that Shergar is, in fact, alive. Hmm. I've seen the picture. Yeah. It's just like his head yeah. and his eyes open, and you can see the ring around his eyes. Definitely him. But yeah. Yeah. 
it is a, it's a day before as well mm -hmm. exactly so at 10 40 p.m the, because in, the paper said johnny logan wins the eurovision <laughs> yeah they're like that's not even that's from three years <laughs> that's ago from three years ago okay so at 10 40 p.m the uh kidnappers call the negotiators the negotiator, who previously is well aware that while a few members of the syndicate were willing to pay a ransom, the bulk of the members, including the Agacon, had declared that regardless of the situation and outcome, they would not pay a ransom for Shergar. Hmm. So, kidnapper. Have you the money? Negotiator. Mr. Drian is not satisfied with the proof, and I'm sure the, the shareholders are not satisfied with it. Kidnapper. You are not satisfied? Negotiator. They need further proof. Kidnapper. If you're not satisfied, that's it. So at that point, the kidnapper hangs up and they never call again. Hmm. However, since the police were withholding information, many people continued to believe that the negotiators, the negotiations were continuing. So the nation is still very hopeful. The Irish Thoroughbred Breeders Association sets up a hotline and offers an unspecified reward. Uh, no significant leads come of this. February 16th, the police receive a release a description of the horse box. So it is light green or light blue, has no working lights and no license plate, but no trace of the horse box is ever found. Hmm. Two weeks after the kidnapping on February 22nd, with no new leads, the search is scaled down. 69 people working on it now. Mm police limiting the information that was getting out to the public many theories were formed so some of these by the media etc mm -hmm. yeah so number one was that Shergar was stolen by libya's colonel Gaddafi in order to raise money to supply arms to the ira that was theory one all right very reasonable yeah theory two a middle east horse breeder had stolen Shergar for his private use as a stallion for his mares okay number three the New Orleans Mafia had stolen Shergar. New Orleans? Yeah. Well, I didn't know there was a New Orleans Mafia. Well, I think maybe there's Mafia everywhere. Okay. I don't know. Uh, they had, in retaliation for an earlier horse deal with the Aga Khan that had gone wrong. I see. So in this U.S. bloodstock agent, Wayne Murtry, had tried to buy a large number of quality horses from breeder Marcel Bosac's bankruptcy sale in France. Yeah. But the Aga Khan outmaneuvered him, and in retaliation, Murtry threw a severed horse leg on the desk of the French agricultural minister. Uh, Murtry then sued the Aga Khan, but lost, and held an active grudge against the Aga Khan. He also sued the French agriculture people, too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess when the French minister saw that leg, he went, looks delicious. Mm -hmm. So, theory number four. The IRA had kidnapped Shergar to raise money for arms since funding from the USA had decreased. Theory five. The Sunday Sport ran an article where it claimed that Shergar had been spotted being ridden on the beach by Lord Lucan. <laughs> <laughs> Finally found Lord Lucan. Yeah. Uh, you know that he was like famously, had famously disappeared. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, number six, series six, a Sun exclusive detailed a story where Shergar was spotted grazing in a field in Jersey on the Channel Islands. Mm hmm. Um, and then theory seven, one starred farm employee contended that Jim Fitzgerald was an accomplice of the kidnappers. Oh. Mm -hmm. As we know, every 
everything got scaled down after two weeks. So we are now a month after Shergar's kidnapping. So Sean Berry, who we heard of before, manager of the Irish Thoroughbred Breeders Association, um, held several radio interviews and discloses that the organization, in conjunction with Jonathan Irwin, managing director of Goffs, who had held the big horse sale, are putting up a 250,000 pound reward. Callers are to use the Irish Thoroughbred Breeders Association hotline. So on March 17th, Barry is contacted by a man saying that if there was a quarter of a million dollar reward, they could be, they could begin negotiating and the man would use the code name rugby. So the Garda move into Barry's house, but the decision is made to not negotiate until proof of life is offered. So on May 2nd, Rugby calls Barry to tell him to go to the Hotel Kadeen near <laughs> Newbridge. He is to let them know Mr. Davies is there and wait for a phone call. Okay. When the call comes through, he learns he is to be picked up at 2 the next day and taken to see Shergar. So the Garda quickly put a tracking device on Barry's car. But the next day, Rugby calls at 2 asking if Barry has the reward money with him. So Barry tells him he does not have the money and it will not be produced until proof of life is confirmed. So three days later, May 5th, Rugby phones again and tells Barry to go to a telephone booth in Kildare and wait for a call. A discussion follows regarding different ways for Barry to view the horse. Barry suggests bringing the vet, Cosgrove, with him to ensure the horse's health. The conversation ends and that is the last time Rugby is heard from. Hmm. So, elsewhere... Sounds like he wa- just wanted him to come with the money so yeah, that he could get comp I think on the head. so. Yeah, an opportunist. Yes. So elsewhere, eight weeks after Sugar was kidnapped, so this is now April 8th, a senior detective approaches Dr. Cosgrove and introduces him to Dennis Minogue, a local horse trainer and horse dealer. <laughs> Minogue claims to have contacts in the IRA who had put a hood on him and taken him on a long drive where ultimately he saw Sugar. Minogue tells the authorities he can get Shergar released for 80,000 pounds. The police ask Cosgrove to help, and he agrees. So Cosgrove is in a unique and somewhat desperate situation, as not only is he the horse's vet, he's also a shareholder. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had an insurance policy to cover him in the case of the horse's death, but not in the case of theft. So in order to get any money, he will have to have definite proof that the horse is deceased. So Cosgrove puts up 80,000 pounds of his own money for the return of the horse. Cosgrove later told of counting out the money in front of a policeman, his wife, and two sons, and putting it in a black bag. He recalls believing at the time that the policeman was, in fact, a policeman. He recently stated that he now feels he was duped, and the man was not, in fact, the police from the police. So Cosgrove also paid Minogue 10,000 pounds for his services with the understanding that Minogue would continue to facilitate the connections between himself and the kidnappers. So they involved uh, second generation Garda, Detective Martin Kenirons, uh, to assist Cosgrove in this endeavor. So on July 20th, Kenirons was told by his superiors to take the bag containing Cosgrove's 80,000 and put it in the boot of a car which he is then told to leave in a remote village of Ardnacrushtia in County Clare. Minogue's easy, easy for you to say. Yeah, not really. Um, I think I butchered it. Whatever. Uh, Minogue's <laughs> ro- role is to come up to come pick up the money when the horse is returned, so he can pass it on to the kidnappers in the exchange. 
When Cosgrove returns to the car the day after Ken Irons has parked it in the village, he finds that the boot has been forced open and the money is gone. Minogue is never seen again. Uh, no one is ever charged with the theft, but in 1986, following an internal investigation, Ken Irons was dismissed from the force for breaching regulations. Hmm. In 2018, uh, he is still protesting and is innocent and claims that his superiors saved themselves by sacrificing him. It became evident as the case progressed that the kidnappers were unaware that Shergar had been syndicated. They were under the impression they would be dealing with one owner, not 36 different owners in nine countries. <laughs> the logistics involved in getting all owners informed and in agreement in a pre-computer age was a definite complication to carrying out their plan. So the Agacon, who held six shares, would not agree to pay a ransom, feeling it would just endanger other valuable horses in the future. He was also unsure if Shergar would be returned, even if the ransom was paid. The Irish government stood with the Aga Khan on this point, stating, What we want to make clear was that the payment of any ransom to the provisional IRA would lead directly to the loss of more innocent lives. So after time had passed, the shareholders put together a report which highlighted the following points. 1. The theft was perpetuated either to create confusion and publicity or undertaken with naivety. Number 2. The ransom demand was to be paid in 100-pound notes, which did not exist in mm. Irish money. Okay. Uh, number three. When the kidnappers called Drian in Ireland, it was 5.45 p.m. They wanted the money in Paris the next day. Meanwhile, the kidnappers also called the negotiators in Paris at 5 p.m., demanding two million pounds to be delivered that night. In both cases, the banks had already closed for the day, so securing and transporting the money in that time frame would have been impossible to do. Number four, the control risk negotiators were told by the kidnappers to get an agreement to pay, but the t control risk negotiators went, were unable to make contact with anyone in Ireland with the authority to do so. Ultimately, Shergar was never found, never recovered. Oh, really? Yeah. So, speculation. So, yeah, this case was never, it continues to be a mystery. Wow. Um, so, today, the IRA remains the most likely suspects. Sure. Their motive would have been money. It is speculated that because Shergar was so well-loved by the public, uh, the Shergar debacle surrounding the kidnapping was considered a huge embarrassment to the IRA. So, the IRA has never admitted any role or involvement in the kidnapping. But in 1999, Sean O'Callaghan, a former IRA member who had been operating covertly as a supergrass since 1980, <laughs> publishes an autobiography. So in it, he claimed that Kevin Malone, who was a leading IRA member at the time, hatched the plot to kidnap Shergar. O'Callaghan claims he was told by Jerry Fitzgerald, another IRA member, that Shergar was killed early in the process. Reports varied, but included, number one, Shergar panicked and no one was able to handle him. Number two, Shergar hurt his leg and had to be put down. Or number three, he was killed within four days or possibly even a few hours of the kidnapping. Wow. So further information from Sean O'Callaghan that was given to journalist Kevin O'Connor included the information that there were three groups of men involved in the kidnapping. So, yeah. 
One, those undertaking high-profile activity in Northern Ireland to focus attention there. So that was a group that contacted that other trainer. Mm -hmm. Two, those negotiating with Aga Khan's representatives control risks. And three, those dealing with the horse. So other sources have indicated that a veterinarian had been hired to look after the horse, but he did not show up at the holding spot since his wife found out about it and threatened to divorce him. Consequently, the kidnappers were left to deal with a stallion by themselves and they were unfit to do so. Hmm. Within four days of the kidnapping, once it became apparent it would be difficult securing the ransom because he was owned by a syndicate, and due to the difficulty in looking after the horse, Shergar was ordered by the IRA chiefs to actually be turned loose. So hmm. they were going to let him go. Yeah. However, due to the intense police response, he could not safely be transported anywhere for this to occur. Releasing him might result in the hiding place being discovered. Consequently, it is believed that Shergar was disposed of and his remains buried in a boggy area at the base of a small mountain near Ognashilin, near Ballinamore, County Leitrim, on a farm owned by an IRA veteran for the 1940s. As we said, Shergar was never found. And no group or individual ever claimed to be responsible for his kidnapping. Yeah. As a stallion, while he proved to be very fertile, getting 42 of the 44 mares he had covered the first year in full, his first crop proved to be a bit of a disappointment. Equine pathologist Des Ledden has retained hairs from Shergar for DNA comparison. Several skeletons have been unearthed, but testing has proven that none of them were Shergar. To put his value in perspective, in 19, no, in 2021, if alive today, Shergar would have been the ninth most valuable athlete in the world. So number 10 being Real Madrid's Cristiano Ronaldo at 42.5 million. <laughs> so Shergar had been memorialized in the Shergar Cup, which is a major race in the UK. In 1987, Dr. Cosgrove, who was by now in serious financial situation, initiated legal action against Chandler Hargraves Limited, the insurance brokers, alleging breach of contract over a share of Shergar. Cosgrove's suit was unsuccessful, as were three others against BBA and Lloyd's brokers Hughes, Gibb and Company Limited. In 1994, uh, oh, so that was in 1994. So, in, 19, in 2002, Garda Chief Superintendent Sean Feely gave Cosgrove a statement claiming that the Garda felt Shergar was dead, but this was rejected as conjecture. Hmm. Ultimately, the loss of Shergar was a huge financial blow for Cosgrove, who was obligated to sell his 120-acre farm to cover his losses. Fortunately, he had a very successful professional life and has been called one of the world's most gifted equine vets. So he established the world-renowned Troytown Veterinary Hospital. He conceived of the Race Academy for Jockeys and is one of only two Irishmen to have sat as president of the British Equine Veterinary Association. Cosgrove died of natural causes in 2019, leaving behind 10 children and a state of 3 million euros. So obviously he recovered financially. Sure did. And he was also a stud. Mm-hmm. He was. So numerous other insurance policies which had covered theft were honored, including those held by the Agacon. Lloyd's paid out $10.6 million, while Aviva paid £144,000. Various shareholders were left liable for $1.5 million. Hmm. 
The IgaCon is still alive and currently has an estimated worth of $13.3 He is France's most influential owner and breeder of racehorses. The majority of his racehorse operations are now located in France, and he still retains some farms in Ireland, but he has sold most. Hmm. Following Shergar's kidnapping, it is believed that the same group of individuals hatched a plot to kidnap millionaire businessman Galen Weston. Fortunately, the police learned of the plot and took over Weston's house while he was vacationing in the UK. So the gang arrived at Weston's house, a lengthy gun battle ensued, and Jerry Fitzgerald and four other IRA members were arrested and given long prison sentences. The kidnapping raised fears that the Irish racing and breeding industry would be put in jeopardy. And the kidnapping of Shergar had a profound effect on changing security for valuable horses. At the time of his kidnapping, Shergar's barn was located in an isolated area at the end of a dead-end lane well off the main road between Newbridge and Kildare Town. The gate to the barn was a simple wooden five-bar gate on hinges with no lock. It just had a sign, please close the gate. (laughs) When they left, the kidnappers obeyed the sign and politely closed the gate behind them. Detective Martin Kenirons continues to protest his innocent in the role of the missing money, and he is now a successful horse breeder on his family's farm. Bally Mini Stud was sold by the Aga Khan in 1988 to Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al-Maktoum, and the provisional IRA went on a ceasefire in 1997 and has now disbanded. The end. Poor Shergar. <laughs> yes, poor Shergar. A victim of incompetence, mm-hmm. at the, the very least. So. Yeah. Obviously, a half-baked plan with, with no real understanding of any of the logistics. Yeah. Or any, any at all. This seems like they're just like shooting from the hip and just hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. A disaster all around. Kind of like our first story. <laughs> I don't know why I thought you were going to say kind of like our marriage. I was going to say, what? Shoot what are you going to say? <laughs> kind of like our first story. Yes, yeah, kind of similar. Yeah, exactly. A yeah. lot of naivety there. Yeah. Someone who's... You know, yeah. Well, in that case, the person was a little uh, kinder to the horse. and But I guess these people were just being realistic. They had mm-hmm. to look after their own hides. But yeah, well, yes, the IRA. Just a criminal organization, in my opinion. Oh, so. yeah. Yes. So. Uh, For all their uh, all their vaunted talk of Irish independence and stuff like that, it's just a lot of corruption and blackmail and. Mayhem. Mayhem and murder. <laughs> hurting people, yeah. yes. But apparently, they've disbanded. Mm hmm. They moved into different criminal activities. Yes. <laughs> that was a sad another story. Another sad there. story. Yeah, yeah, another sad story. But I guess when you do a show called Horse Mysteries, there's going to be there's going to yeah. be, be some eggs. You can't make a horse mystery omelet without breaking horses. Mm-hmm. So. so I think that was episode six. So we've got two more for this season okay. to finish up. And I guarantee no horses to be harmed in the next two episodes. <laughs> oh, great. We need a break. We do need a break. That is, that's nice. <laughs> It's kind of funny. I'm just going to go to some of our some of our uh, letters and comments that we receive from people. And the first one is from a friend, and he wrote to say, "This is Trevor Lynn. A loving horse mystery series. Is Lisa planning on doing a Sugar episode, or is that a little too root one? Meaning, I guess too obvious. Mm-hmm. Anyway, keep up the good work. I just said I think that will be covered. I guess I was right. <laughs> well, and that was one of our uh, title." Like when we were asking for names of the show, remember in Sneaky Dragon? That's right. Uh, I can't remember who. I maybe maybe it was Trevor who sent that in. I can't remember. I can't remember either though. That's a while ago. But yeah, 
that was uh, one comment. Then we got a, an email, and I'm going to be real. I have to apologize right now because I'm going to mispronounce this name right off the top. It's from Draws Healed, D R H O Z. Okay. Then Healed is H E A L D. Okay. They say, I presume the fine cotton affair is in your list of topics to cover. A farcical episode from the deeply shady Australian horse racing industry, the biggest mystery being how the hell they thought they'd get away with it, and where they hid the horse after it came to light. I suspect you'll be highly amused where. <laughs> Do you know of this story? No, no. Well, that'll be something for... An episode or season two. Season two, yeah. yes. Thank you for that. Uh, lead draws... I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing your name so terribly. You can you can write in a, uh, a proper pronunciation next time and I'll and I'll do my best. So this is from Horse Mysteries Episode 5. And if everyone remembers, this is, of course, a story of Elidar that we talked about last time. A very uh, sad story of bad behavior. We got a message from Louise. And Louise wrote to say, I like the title and how its significance is revealed as the podcast goes along. So your title was better than my title. Is what <laughs> Louise is saying. It's hard for me to imagine anyone being callous enough to injure a beautiful animal like that. I watched the Horse Hitman episode of, of Netflix documentary series Bad Sport about sports scandals and felt the same way when that criminal type was telling his story. Do you know that one? Yes. Is that going to be covered? Uh, yeah, season two. Season two. Okay, everyone. We'll look forward to that. That will be coming up in a little while. So there we go. Now, you told me not to ask what the next story is called. Because I forgot the name. Because you forgot the title. You know, the title but I know what it's about. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's fine. But I know. Yeah. Next two episodes guarantee no horses will be injured. No animals will be injured in and the telling. No the next people two. either. Whoa! Oh wow! Well, this sounds boring. Yeah. No, I'm just going. It's kidding. That sounds nice. Sounds some, like a good. Some feelings might be hurt. <laughs> good refresher course. <laughs> well, she's talking about me because I'm very sensitive and get quite often get red faced while we're doing the shows and pout. And do some sulking afterwards. <laughs> Go to my room. So thank you everyone for listening to this episode. If you'd like to write in like Louise or like Draws or even like Trevor, you can do so in the following way. We have a uh, we have a website that we post the shows on. It's called SneakyDragon.com, named after our sister podcast. And you can go there. You'll find every episode on the website. And underneath the episodes, you can leave comments. We'll read them and we'll respond. Uh, you can also write to us via email. Our email address is uh, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That will come to us, and we'll enjoy reading your thoughts. And you can also comment on the our, on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Once again, it's called Sneaky Dragon, but you're welcome to write to us there. And we'll get those messages and also comment or thank you or do something in response to your messages. So uh, we look forward to hearing from you. P please feel free to write anytime. And we will see you in two weeks. So take care, everyone. See you soon. And as our horse would say, <laughs> <laughs> bye-bye. <laughs>